0: No one had heard of the name Jack Bennett or New Era Foundation until May 13th of this year. But Mr. Bennett and that foundation promised uh, about 2,000 nonprofit organizations that he would double their money in six months if they would invest their money with him. And as a matter of fact, for six years... He did exactly that. He doubled the money of every organization that put that money with him. But on May the 13th, time ran out. For he was running an old con game that is called a Ponzi scheme, in which he takes in someone's money and uh, promises to pay it back, but he takes in somebody else's money to pay the first guy back. And you can do that for a while as long as there's enough cash flow. But in May of this year, it was disclosed that he owes some 300 organizations, both Christian and non-Christian, $551 million with only $80 million of assets to pay them. He had been thoroughly checked out. He had a marvelous reputation. But he lacked character. Reputation, you see, is what people think about you. Character is what God knows about you. We sang the chorus from 1 Samuel this morning. God does not see the same way people see people look at the outside of a person, the Lord looks at the heart. Reputation is usually based upon what you can do, but character is based upon what you are. Dwight Moody said, character is what you are in the dark. There is one word that should describe the character of a Christian, and that is the word integrity. A life foundation... That is resting on integrity is secure, but a life foundation that lacks integrity is in deep trouble. You and I, as children of God, must determine to be men and women of integrity. We must not allow integrity to be undermined in our lives. And let's keep this in mind, too, that it is ultimately the people of integrity who make a difference in this world. The apostle Paul was such a man. I invite you to open your New Testament to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul had been accused falsely of being two-faced, of lacking credibility. Now, the fact is that anyone can throw a mud ball of accusation, but if one has integrity, that mud will eventually wash away. As Paul is writing in our text today, he is defending his character against his detractors, the liars who were seeking to gain some advantage by attacking Paul. It is an interesting thing to observe in life, and I think we all observe this from time to time, That people of little character sometimes seek to gain stature by unjustly criticizing others who threaten their sense of importance. And that is the case here with those who were attacking Paul. He writes, beginning in verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, We had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amidst much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, Nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though, as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you, each one of you, as a father would his own children, So that you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom, his own kingdom and glory. In this text that we have read, we learn a number of things about integrity. First, I want you to observe that integrity involves absolute moral principles. I want you to think about that a minute. Integrity involves absolute moral principles. The Apostle Paul talks here about being examined by God. He was not out to please man. He was out to please God. God has absolute moral standards. Now we live in an age of relativism. Our culture is collapsing into a black hole of relativism. Those who believe in relativism say to us that they are no absolute moral principles. And we say, are you sure? And they say, absolutely. What I'm illustrating is that there is a certain self-contradiction in that very statement that they make. That there are no moral absolutes. If there are no moral absolutes, even that statement is relative then. It is self contradictory, and yet that's what our culture is based upon. Relativism makes it impossible to define integrity in any traditional sense. Since there is no standard in our culture of right and wrong, any action or any idea can be called right or loving. It leads to situational ethics. But true integrity has a standard, an absolute standard by which to be measured. And that standard is God's nature, God Himself. You see, God defines for us what is right and wrong. We talk about the righteousness of God. It is God's righteousness that gives us the Ten Commandments, for example. A brilliant and wonderful statement of moral ethics that are absolute. True integrity has a standard. That standard is God. And that was the standard that Paul was using as he talks about his own life and ministry. Now, we have to admit something at this point, and that is that none of us has perfect integrity. None of us can measure up to the perfections of God. None of us can keep perfectly the Ten Commandments. We are in need of forgiveness, and thank God he has provided for that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that we may be given integrity we don't have of our own. It is the righteousness of Christ, the integrity of Christ that we are given as a gift. When we become believers in Jesus Christ, that is our position before God. God declares us righteous. God declares us to be people of integrity, perfectly, in Christ, as our position, But what I'm talking about this morning is not our positional integrity, it's our practical integrity. In my position, I am a citizen of the United States of America, but I don't always live like a good citizen. If I fail to vote, I have not fulfilled my responsibilities of citizenship. Likewise, in Jesus Christ, I have perfect righteousness, but I don't always live that out. Now what we're talking about this morning is how important it is to have that righteousness truly in our hearts and expressed in our lives. Integrity is not whatever somebody defines it to be. Integrity is based upon the absolute moral principles of God. Having it, having integrity, is reflecting the beauty of God's moral principles in our character. To live with integrity is to, as Paul says here in verse 12, walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you. You see, there's the standard. God. We are exhorted to measure ourselves against God, and he says, conduct yourself in this world in such a way that you walk worthy of God the one who calls you so my first point this morning is this that integrity involves absolute moral principles to whatever degree we may have adopted the ideas of relativism let's flush those ideas and understand that God's principles are laid down in his word they are based upon who he is what he is like and that is our measurement In the first place, that ought to bring us to our knees in repentance before God. Seeking his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And then having found that forgiveness, it ought to bring us to our knees asking God that that integrity be written in our hearts. That his righteousness be fulfilled in our lives. Secondly, integrity concerns personal authenticity are you real I asked someone that question a few months ago our group was in Amman Jordan staying in a hotel one of the nice hotels of Amman we had gathered for dinner one night and uh, we were in a, a line for dinner and one of the guys in our group took some soup and salad, and his hands were filled before he got to the main course. He can afford to do that. He's young. And so I said, hey, why don't you just take that all over the table and come on back and get in line? And from behind me came a voice that said, we're not going to have any of that here. And I thought, this guy's joking. So I turned around was a guy about this tall, about 10 years older than me. And I said, well, who said so? And immediately he grabbed me by the arms and began pushing me back through the the line in this hotel. And that's when I asked the question, are you for real? Are you for real? He said, you better believe it. And I said, you're an authentic nut. He let his hands go. We went back and got in line. And I repeated my observation. He said, you're a mental case. And that's exactly what he was. A real, authentic mental case. Are you for real? Not a mental case. But are you for real as a person? Are you for real in your character? Genuineness is deeply respected in a world that is filled with pretense and sham. To a lot of people, life is really a game of charades. They're always pretending. But integrity means being an authentic person, at least in three opinions. And Paul talks about those in verse 10. He says, You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved. Three opinions in those three adverbs. The first one is devoutly. Here he talks about the opinion of God. The King James puts it, How holily Boy, that's hard to say. I'm glad mine says devoutly. But the idea is, does God see me as a pure person? As a holy person? In God's opinion, in God's measurement of me, am I holy? Am I consecrated to him? Am I real? The second word that he uses is Uprightly, And here he's talking about how he lived in the sight of others. He said, you are witnesses as well as God. As far as Paul was able to tell, in the sight of others, he had lived uprightly. The word means to live honestly, to be fit, to live without injuring anyone else. It is the living out of the golden rule. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. And so when we talk about being real, do others see you as real? As being an authentic person of integrity? And then the third word Paul uses is the word blamelessly. Here he's talking about living in the sight of his own opinion. How he knew himself. Paul was able to say that As far as he was able to tell, he lived blamelessly because he had no self-condemnation. There was no guilt in his own heart. Do you know yourself to be a real person? That's perhaps the hardest question of all. Because we can fool others. And although we cannot fool God, we assume that God is going to be gracious and merciful, but we can really be hard on ourselves. Integrity concerns personal authenticity. It means being real in our character. Third, I observe that integrity touches life's spectrum. Integrity is not limited to some narrow range of what life is about. Integrity touches everything in life, the whole spectrum of it, the whole gamut. Paul mentions several here. He talks about his vocation. In verse 4, he says, We were entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. This is Paul's calling in life. It may not be yours. But it was Paul's. And he says, here's what God has called us to do. His calling is that we preach the gospel and so we do that. He was true to his calling. And again in verse 9, he says, Brethren, you recall our labor and hardship. How working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel. Paul was willing to work with his own hands day and night, he says, in order to support himself and not require anything of the Thessalonians so that he could preach the gospel to them freely. Authenticity, integrity, that touched Paul's vocation, his calling in life. And then I noticed that Paul's motives also were touched by integrity, Verse 3, our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. He says, we're not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. Verses 5 and 6, he says, uh, we didn't come with flattering speech or with a pretext for greed. We didn't promise to double your money in six months. We didn't seek glory from you or from others. We were proven to be gentle among you. Paul is here talking about the motivations of his heart. Ladies and gentlemen, integrity must touch our motivations as much as it touches our actions. Why do we do what we do? Are there hidden dishonest motives in our lives? Integrity touches those washes them away and replaces them with honesty and then i see paul talking about his affiliation because he records that his relationships with them were relationships of integrity so much so he compares himself to a mother in verse 7 and a father in verse 12 now we have to acknowledge up front that mothers and fathers are not always people of integrity but that's the ideal isn't it and that's the way paul was able to reflect his relationship with them he said we were as gentle as a mother we were as faithful as a father in light of what i'm saying about integrity touching life spectrum i wonder if your moral principles touch the way that you conduct your business, whatever you do? Does integrity affect the way that you pay your bills? Or the time that you put in at the office? Or the products that you make or that you sell? Does integrity affect the way that you advertise or the respect that you have for your employer or your employees? How does integrity affect your vocation? Those are some tough questions that it's good for all of us to ponder because integrity needs to get down into those areas of our lives where we often disallow it. It needs to bring conviction. It needs to bring change so that we walk worthy of God. What about the hidden motivations of your heart? The whys of your life? What about the way you treat others? What you expect of them? How you talk about them? How does integrity affect the way that you think about ministry, about the church? You see, each one of these questions opens up a different area of our lives, and I go through them quickly. And and the, the tendency then is to just let the light poke in and then it moves on somewhere else. But we need to take time to think through each of these. And see that integrity touches life's spectrum, all of it, the full gamut. We can't escape that. And it's good. That's not bad. It's good because when integrity begins to deal with these areas of our lives, it conforms us to God's absolute standard. It makes us real, authentic people. And then I noticed that integrity allows for heart transparency. Paul was not ashamed or hesitant to tell them exactly how he felt about them. Verse 8. Fond affection, he says. That was a term used in the nursery in that day for your care for an infant. But that's how Paul felt. He says, we had fond affection for you. You had become very dear to us. You see, there's a tremendous benefit to integrity. When we live a life of pretense, it requires a tremendous amount of energy to keep covering up. A good deal of life's resources are spent on covering up the truth so that people don't find out. when we live a life of integrity, we don't have to use that energy for that purpose anymore. We free up that energy. What a benefit that is for life. And what an example Paul sets for us here, especially for us men. Somehow women are able to be more transparent than men, but we men too need to learn to be transparent. How freely? Do you, can you, express your affection for your wife? For your children? For those who are close to you? Do they really know how you feel about them? Well, yes, yeah, sure, I show it to them all the time. That's wonderful. But can you also say it? Will you say it? You see, integrity allows us to be transparent. We don't have to cover up. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Even with Paul, we can compare ourselves in some respect, even we men, to being like mothers in affection and gentleness. Those are the things that God values. Integrity is important for spiritual maturity. It is important, I think, also to mental and emotional health. And so we need to allow someone to see inside. And if we are people of integrity, there's no problem there. And again, none of us is perfect yet in practice. And so whenever we allow someone to see inside, they're going to see some junk. That's okay. It's okay because they have junk too. And because then we can pray for each other and, and talk with each other and help each other. Integrity allows for heart transparency, And finally, integrity eyes the value of its destiny. Integrity is living out kingdom values now with an eye on what's coming. Notice in verse 12, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Integrity applies to the present reality of life, the truths that will be normative in the coming kingdom. We do not want to live now according to the standards of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We want to live here and now the values of the coming kingdom. Integrity eyes the value of the destiny of the child of God. Integrity knows where it's headed and the reward that awaits there. I am going to take a couple of extra minutes to turn to Hebrews chapter 11 to illustrate my point with Moses in verse 24 it says, "By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called excuse me, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill-treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Moses was a man of integrity. And he had his eyes on what was coming. He did not act in the here and now based upon what benefited him now. He said, I see what is coming in the future and because of that I am going to live this way. And he lived a life of integrity. There's my point. If we just allow ourselves to see the here and the now and the present realities, we are sorely tempted to live lives that are less than honest, lives that conform to the values of this current world. But integrity looks beyond that. Integrity sees the value of what's coming, of the destiny that is ahead. And it says, I'm going to apply those values here and now. Moses did that. It requires faith. And for that, he was honored. And so we have the exhortation that is given in chapter 12 of, of Hebrews. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, including Moses... Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. He's talking here about becoming a person of integrity. Lay aside the encumbrances and the sin that trips us up and run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. There's our destiny. He's at the goal line, standing there, encouraging us, come on, come on in the race. And the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on him, on what's coming. And live now, run your race, as a man, as a woman of integrity. It is the people who have lived with integrity who have made a difference in our world. Not all of them are Christians. There are people who are non-Christians who are people of integrity. George Washington said, for example, Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Let me read that again. Let us with caution indulge the supposition or the idea that morality can be maintained without religion. What is our whole Culture saying today, we don't need God. Separation of church and state. George Washington said, be cautious about the idea that you can maintain morality as a nation without religion. He went on to say, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle says, you exclude religious principle and your national morality will go down the tubes. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly what is happening in America today. Abraham Lincoln said, the probability that we may fail in the struggle ought not to deter us from the support of a cause we believe to be just. Integrity. Integrity. The hot July of 1776, there were men who gathered in Philadelphia to forge a document declaring the independence of the United States. We remember that next weekend. It was their moral principle that guided them. It was their integrity that helped them to establish a foundation for a new nation. A foundation that has lasted more than 200 years. What I'm saying to you is there's people of integrity who make a difference in the world. People without integrity may make the news. People without integrity may star in the latest box office hit. People without integrity may rake in the most cash from their exploits but they will never be truly happy people, nor will they enjoy any lasting significance without integrity. That's why I'm talking to you this morning about it, because this is something in our lives that must be firmed up as we think about firming up our foundation, being men and women of integrity. Ability will enable a person to get to the top, but it takes character for him to stay there. How's your character? Are you a person of integrity? Wherever that may be lacking, and God can show each of us where we lack, then let's determine today to firm up that foundation, to acknowledge our sins, and to say, Oh God, In this area of my life where I have failed, I ask you to go to work and make me the person that I ought to be by the grace of God. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and before God and God examining each of our hearts, I wonder if you would be willing to say today, Pastor, there's an area of my life that God knows I lack integrity. I haven't got it together there. And that is my opinion. I believe it's God's opinion. It may even be the opinion of others. I am not a real, authentic person in that area of my life. And I want to acknowledge that before God and ask his help, to ask his grace to be active in my life to make me a person of integrity. I want to firm up this foundation. Would you lift your hand and put it down? congregation of this size for ten hands to go up. What does that say? Well, it says that there's a lot of us who have it together. It may say that there are some of us who aren't willing to acknowledge a lack of integrity. That in itself is a problem, isn't it? We're not being real. If you are a man or a woman of integrity and character, I thank God for that. If you've lifted your hand today, I want to pray for you and for myself, because I, too, need integrity in areas of my life. Father, we come before you with hearts open and deeply desiring to be people who are characterized by integrity we want to be honest we want to be authentic and God as you see our hearts you know us today and many of us lift our hands to say to you we confess our sins and we ask you to work in us by your grace to firm up this foundation of our lives For, Lord, we want to be people who will make a difference in our world. Whether we're wealthy or famous is not the point. Father, we want to be people of significance, as you measure it, who make a difference in the lives of others. And so may it be. And so may you work by your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen.